Before we get started, let me tell you about a podcast that I think you'll love. Origin Stories is a show that explores how we became human, and they do it with storytelling. You can hear what it's like to discover a 13-million-year-old fossil. You can hear Jane Goodall tell her story about how she first got started studying chimpanzees, and so much more. Listen and subscribe to Origin Stories, wherever you get your podcasts. A science story, huh? It was that tall. golden moment because science was on my side. Hi guys, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I'm Erin Barker, Artistic Director of the Story Collider, filling in for Ben Lilly once again this week. This week we're bringing you two stories about love intersecting with science, whether it clashes with a diagnosis or blossoms on a boat. Our first story this week is from Lindsay Wessel. It was recorded in February 2017 at the Oberon Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The theme was Light and Dark. So I first met David when he showed up at our neuroscience graduate school orientation 20 minutes late and wearing toe shoes. Just a few days earlier, he'd cycled into Davis, California from Portland, Oregon, a thousand miles away by bike. Uh, He'd had lots of options for grad schools, but he'd chosen ours because he felt the students were down to earth and because it was close to skiing. Sometimes he and I would hit the mountains together. Sometimes we'd bike, and other times we'd just talk about life over beers. I had never been the sappy type, but I started to realize that I just kind of always wanted to hang out with David. And when he told me that he kind of always wanted to hang out with me too, it made me really happy. It was spring in California, and everything was beautiful. And I just thought, nothing is going to shake this wonderful feeling that I had. Except maybe herpes. Herpes shook things up a little bit. (laughs) So probably all of you know that uh, herpes is a sexually transmitted disease that can cause painful outbreaks in some very private areas. And... um, It's contagious and lifelong, so it it doesn't exactly make dating easy. So when David called me to tell me that he had tested positive for this virus, um, he was not feeling great. I went over right away, and he started to tell me everything that he knew. He had tested positive for both types of herpes. Herpes type 2, the infamous STD, and herpes type 1, which is a more common and much less stigmatized form we tend to associate with cold sores. Um, He had never had a symptom for either, but he was told by the doctors that um, he could pass either virus on to a partner. He was so upset and just shocked that he had paid $200 right there for another test. But by the time I got to him, he was resigned. He knew denial wasn't really gonna help anything. So 
to be honest, at this point, I honestly wasn't that alarmed. I mean, I just, I told David, like, let's hold off on the physical stuff. No sex, obviously, but also, like, maybe just to be safe, no kissing, but just until I could do a little research to figure out the best way to protect myself and how hard could it be. So the next day, I launch in with your typical Google searches and things go downhill instantly. Let me just recommend that if you ever have the temptation to do a Google image search for herpes, you squash that. <laughs> Your whole screen transforms into a checkerboard of all these body parts that you never wanted to see, sporting the worst case scenario of all sorts of rashes that you never wanted to know existed. And the more that I researched, uh, things just got worse. I started to realize that everything that I had thought I'd known about herpes wasn't actually true. While it is accurate that um, herpes is most likely to spread when there's an active outbreak, uh, it can be spread to a partner when no obvious symptoms are present. Also, herpes can nest outside of the area that condoms cover. And so while condoms can be effective, they can also be pretty much useless. And the uh, cold sore kind of herpes can definitely spread to your junk. So I'm, I'm panicking a little. Actually, I'm, I'm kind of panicking a lot. And it's not just because this situation that I thought was a take minor precautions situation has now transformed into a herpes owns your ass kind of situation. That's not the only reason I'm panicking. I'm also panicking because I'm realizing those minor precautions might not have protected me from some risks I'd already taken. David and I really liked each other. So of course, we'd kiss quite a bit. And um, don't tell my mom or anything, but that's not all we've done. <laughs> so I start hallucinating symptoms instantly. I've got the tingles and the itches on my mouth and on my other parts. Um, <laughs> but fortunately, my logical brain kicks in and says, you know, it's very unlikely that you've already contracted this. So like, let's just focus on prevention. So my best option seems to be finding a way to make sure that David isn't contagious before getting too close to him. And by this point, I'd gone with all my research and like Googling everything, I'd gotten a little crazy enough to think that um, I could write a protocol for this myself. <laughs> no, but really, because really all we'd need to do, right, is like take a swab and test for the presence of the virus. And if the virus wasn't there, then we'd be good. Maybe that could have worked, right? Um, but I honestly didn't get very far before realizing that this was going to cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars that, frankly, we didn't have. So, and, 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 and logistically, right, it's just a nightmare because you're swabbing down your boyfriend, you're amplifying the sample, and then you're throwing in some probes to see if the virus shows up. Even for the most diehard scientists, it's a far cry from dinner in a movie. So I'm kind of starting to realize that maybe there's no way for me to be with this guy and guarantee myself a herpes-free future. I have to dump him, right? I mean, who wants to be that person that, thinking they're in love, makes some huge sacrifice for something that maybe wasn't going to work out anyways? And then where are you? Single and with herpes. But... My mind kept going to my aunt and uncle, who everyone who knows them says is the picture of true love. 
Um, when they were teenagers, my mom's family tried desperately to break them up. And that was because my uncle wasn't Jewish. Um, but they, even at that young age, knew that something so trivial shouldn't get in the way of love that's real. And they're still making each other happy 60 years later. I couldn't help but wonder if herpes would have stopped them, even if Jewish grandmothers couldn't. <laughs> but fortunately, we don't live in a world where you have to ask that kind of deep personal question to someone you know and who loves you. No, instead, I turned to complete strangers on the internet. I joined an anonymous herpes forum, and I read about the lives of people with herpes. I still laugh. So on this forum, I read, I read about some really actually upsetting things. I read about a man who had stopped dating and dropped all his friends because he was too ashamed to tell them why he wasn't trying to pick up women anymore. And I read about a woman who had decided to stay with a boyfriend who hit her because he had also given her herpes and she thought no one else could love her again. I was just horrified, just totally enraged. And I, I even went to David and I said, how, how could our society just ridicule and dismiss these people who haven't done anything wrong, these other human beings? And then I went back to researching herpes, leaving my glum boyfriend to contemplate the prospect of being alone forever, alone. Um, throughout this whole process, these weeks that this was going on, David had actually been quite patient. But one day during a walk on campus, his patience seemed suddenly to snap. He asked me to sit down with him on the grass and started telling me he was getting really fed up with my process. Um, we had never really argued before, but he was upset and I got upset in response. Didn't he realize how much work I was doing and how much I was considering risking for him? Voices were raised. Things got a bit ugly. I went home crying. I called my sister and I told her, I never want to see this guy again. David and I were in a class of 12 people, so that didn't work out well. Um, <laughs> we saw each other later that day, and when we ran into each other, we stepped into this cold, dark room that I was doing my graduate research in. Um, we apologized for... Um, things getting heated. And, and in this room, this room was painted black um, because of light-sensitive experiments that used to go on there. And also there were um, chains that used to hold oxygen tanks that now just sort of like dangled from above. And so we, so he starts to tell me like why he suddenly got so upset. And he told me that on our walk earlier that day, I had been drinking a coffee and he had asked for a sip. And when he'd handed it back, he had seen me almost subconsciously take my sleeve and wipe off the straw. Um, when David said this to me with uh, sadness and, and really humiliation in his voice, I was so ashamed. And, and everything just hit me right then. I realized that what mattered here wasn't David's situation, and that wasn't the problem. The problem was my situation. Whatever research or questions I still thought I had left to answer about the science and the risk of herpes, that wasn't important here. What was important was that I was treating my, my boyfriend, someone I respected, someone I was in love with, as something dirty and less than human. 
So I threw my arms around him and I just started kissing him right there. And I told him it was ridiculous and I just, I didn't care. I just wanted to be with him. And he puts his arms around me too and kisses me back. And there in this dark room with the black walls and the chains hanging down, David tells me that he loves me for the very first time. About three weeks into our happily ever after, uh, David got results back from that $200 other herpes test that he'd sent away for. And it turned out that after all of that, he'd never had herpes in the first place. <laughs> Along with over 50% of Americans, he did have the cold sore type, but for the more stigmatized kind, he had had a false positive due to a common issue with the test. David's relief at narrowly escaping herpes was palpable, but the results meant nothing to me. I had already made my decision. My relief had come weeks earlier when I narrowly escaped, ruining a laughter-filled, loving relationship, a relationship that is now going on four years over a skin rash. Thank you. That was Lindsay Wessel. Lindsay is a science and health journalist who recently graduated from the UC Santa Cruz Science Communication Program. Before turning her sights on journalism, she studied the mind, obtaining a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's in neuroscience from UC Davis. She has covered topics ranging from wildfire management to Zika transmission. Our second story today is from Tom and Skylar Young-Bayer. It was recorded in June 2017 at our seventh anniversary show at Union Hall in Brooklyn, New York. The theme that night was love and science. So my friends Dennis and Candace own an old-timey um, ship with sails. They're red sails. And <laughs> it's up in Camden, Maine, best state in the nation. Um... And they asked me to be a naturalist on one of their week-long cruises. So we leave Monday morning, come back Friday night. And I agreed, and I come to Sunday evening orientation. And within like five minutes on deck, Dennis, who's the captain, he says to me, hey, you did that SEA sailing program in college, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, and you study marine ecology, right? I'm like, Dennis, that's why you hired me for this trip. And he's like, you have a lot in common with Tom. Tom's single, you should date Tom. And I was like, who, who the hell is Tom? So for some context, I'd had um, a breakup with a boyfriend that I'd lived with for about three years who I didn't turn out have very much in common with. Um, and we'd, we'd broken up about four months prior and I was perfectly happy being single, spending 4th of July alone, drinking with my dog, watching the entire Twilight series, <laughs> crying because love is beautiful. But, <laughs> the vampires. Anyway, um, but my friends weren't really happy about this. They were like, you should be dating everyone. Like, what are you gonna do? Go back to your ex for the winter? And I was like, I didn't know I, you know, I have central heating. I <laughs> don't need man heating. <laughs> but 
But so I would get really annoyed when everyone's like, you should date so-and-so. So back on the boat, Dennis is like, well, Tom's the first mate. And then like, as if out of a sitcom, 15 seconds later, Tom, this ruggedly handsome sailor type in a dirty t-shirt, jumps up on deck and he's like, hi, I'm Tom. And I'm like, hi. And then when I went home that night to prepare my lectures for the trip, I was like, well, maybe I should shave my legs in case I have to wear shorts. <laughs> so the night that uh, Skylar and I met was the uh, beginning of the last week-long trip of a very long sailing season. Uh, for the past six months, I, I had been working uh, virtually nonstop as the first mate of the Windjammer Angelique. It's this beautiful tan bark sail, topsail catch, really fast boat, won the schooner race. Um, we would take these passengers out on these, these multi-day sailing trips along the main coast, which is just a stunning place. So it was a, it was a dream job aboard the dream boat. But the whole time with not a single day off. Well, that, that's not exactly true. I did, have, I did have one week off in the middle of the season during which my quote-unquote vacation consisted of going home to an unexpected divorce um, one day before my seven-year wedding anniversary. Um, so that was, that was devastating and, uh, and really, really hard for about a month. And then I... I <laughs> Now, I thought to myself, well, you know, we, I pulled myself together. I was like, okay, Tom, I haven't been on a date in 11 years. <laughs> I'm going to start dating again. So I, I start with, you know, what little free time I have between trips. I start going on dates with, uh, with all these women and, and, and meeting new people. And it's great. And I'm having a good time. But I don't really hit it off with any of them. And I'm certainly not looking for anything serious yet. Yeah, no. <laughs> but so so it's Monday, which is arguably the only good day of sailing that entire trip, and the only warm day. Um, I got to wear my shorts. And I was like, uh, well, this guy Tom, who's really cute, which means he's probably a jerk, um, but we have a lot in common, so maybe I should go talk to him. So the crew's all at the front of the boat, and I go over to, to get to know Tom. And we, we did. We had so much in common. We knew all these same people and had done very similar research back when I was a marine biologist. And we had been to so many of the same places, too, uh, like, the, like the Brooks Range and the Arctic of Alaska and the Marquesas Islands in the middle of the Pacific. Um, but we had been to them all at just slightly different times and had just missed meeting each other on so many different occasions. And like, for instance, the, the professor at Brown University that she worked with as an undergraduate invited me to be a PhD student in his lab, and I almost, almost accepted. And if I had accepted, we would have ended up meeting a whole decade before that. Yeah, and so talking to Tom, I was like, oh, this guy's cute, and he's like accomplished, and we have things in common. I was like, this would be terrible. Because my experience with uh, handsome uh, science engineer types as they, you know, will uh, ditch you at the airport, for example. Um, true, true story. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a busty blonde who usually has a stain on their shirt. I'm sure there's one on my dress. And, <laughs> and I uh, always am game for a sex joke, even if no one else is. And... <laughs> Four of my exes, a psychologist, two engineers, and a 
sailor, you know, people had stuff in common with. The next woman they met, they, they married them. And all of these women, I'm, I'm not kidding, like there are four, we went back and counted, and they, all the women they married were petite, brunette, quiet, and reserved in some way. So I was like, well, I'm really good at showing guys what they don't want. <laughs> like really good at it, really good at it. But, you know, Monday night, um, I decide I want to play, play rummy card game with Dennis, the captain, and the crew. So I go around to collect all the crew, and I peer down the crew quarters, and there's Tom with no shirt on and his underwear. I was, I was wearing my shorts. Well, was there underwear under your shorts? Oh, no. So it's underwear. <laughs> <laughs> but he's playing, he's playing this, like, bagpipe, flute-like thing, you know. <laughs> playing this melodious, you know, Celtic music stuff. and But he's also, like, half naked, and I'm like, wow, this guy's hot. But I'm like, no, Skylar, play it cool. So, you know, I look down, and I'm like, oh, hey, Tom, like, do you want to come play cards with us? <laughs> well, I, oh, when Skylar peered down into the folk soul to ask me to play cards, I was in a truly foul mood. Earlier that day, we had a passenger who had explosive diarrhea all over the shower. Uh, and when I say all over, I, I literally mean all over the shower. And our crew had to clean it up. And what that meant for me as the first mate is that uh, during some really challenging sailing maneuvers that day, I was really shorthanded. <laughs> I didn't have to clean it up myself. That's part of being a first mate, but um, I was pissed off. And then later I overheard um, Shitnado, which is what we came to call the passenger, uh, insulting me behind my back, but very much within earshot. So I was, I was not a happy camper. I, did, I just wanted to hang out in my crew cave and not talk to anybody. So I looked up at Skylar and said, sorry, but not tonight, maybe tomorrow. So I was kind of disappointed, though. Wasn't really that surprised. I mean, he's probably a jerk because he's so handsome with no shirt on, playing bagpipes. <laughs> um, but while we're playing cards, there's this, like, beautiful, angry classical piano that starts to waft in. And I'm like, you know, what is that? And Dennis is like, oh, it's just Tom. As if you were, like, the cat or something, you know? <laughs> And I was like, all right, so this really handsome, accomplished, you know, sailor, former marine biologist who plays the bagpipes in his underwear, an angry piano for, you know, whatever reason I don't know, <laughs> is, you know, just exists on this boat. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but I feel like I need to explain something here. When I'm mad, I, I play Rachmaninoff. That's, that's, a, that's not everyone, unusual behavior, everyone right? Everyone does that's... that, right? <laughs> But the next night, I, I had I felt like I had I had done my term um, fuming about shit NATO, and I, I needed to pull my I needed to pull things together and socialize a bit. So I decided I'm going to go down below into the mess room and hang out with the crew and play some rummy. So I, I go down to the mess room, and I of course I sit next to the cutest person on the boat, to Skyler, instead of you know sitting next to the smelly sailors I worked with, uh, and. Uh, Earlier that day, earlier that day, I spent some time watching her during one of our short trips. Um, she was roaming the inner tidal, picking up organisms, uh, looking at them intently, and she was showing this 
this like true curiosity of a naturalist. And I really admired that um, having worked as a, as a, a research diver and a marine biologist in the past. And, um, and then we started interacting during the rummy game. And, and what really impressed me was more than anything was our sense of humor. Like Skylar had this, this uh, quick, witty, full laugh, this, this like assertive confidence in her humor. She didn't pull punches when it came to making fun of the crew. She had no qualms about giving us those co uh, comic jabs whenever she saw the opportunity. But I think most notably is that Skylar, Skylar single-handedly brought that's what she said jokes back to the boat. <laughs> yes, I did. All season long, all year, uh, as the first mate, I, I felt it was my professional duty to keep that's what she said jokes off the boat. And it was so difficult. It was so challenging. There are so many great opportunities on a boat. You don't understand. Hardening up the sails, going down below, cleaning the head, pumping the bilges. <laughs> Every hour, someone had to bite their tongue. And I don't even rem remember the first, that's what she said joke. It was not anything really impressive or noteworthy. Sorry, but it, it wasn't. We tried to remember it. We couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't even remember it. But when she said those four words, all of the crew just stopped and turned and looked at the captain and waited. And without missing a beat, Dennis just started bursting out in laughter. And Skylar opened up those floodgates, and there was no turning back. No, there definitely wasn't for the rest of the trip. <laughs> um, but so after the game, Tom and I ended up talking. We ended up talking like a lot. And we were up on deck and, you know, I think we were talking about probably all the bird calls that Tom happens to know and all the constellations that he happens to know and, you know, marine science and scuba diving, um, which both of us have done. And then I had to go and explain why I can't scuba dive anymore because I had this heart surgery about six years ago now that um, was very traumatic for me, both physically and emotionally. And, and I tell him all about this surgery, and all of a sudden, to like my surprise, he starts talking about all his feelings and all the details about the traumatic surgeries that he endured when he went through having testicular cancer. Yeah, I, um, I've always had a really hard time talking to anybody about the details of, of my own surgeries. Uh, I had even really, even though everyone on the, on the crew had seen my my scar, um, I hadn't really talked to any of them about it, and they were like family to me, but I immediately knew that I could open up to Skylar about uh, what I had gone through, and, um, and there was this, I felt this instant connection between us, this, this bond that I just couldn't deny, and, and actually we learned something really interesting, that if you line up our surgical scars... Um, <laughs> If, uh, if they were combined, they would run from the bottom of my pelvis up to the, the top of her rib cage. So I thought that was pretty cool. And, and after that, that long um, conversation uh, that we had, I, I, you know, in true Oregonian fashion, because I'm from Portland, Oregon, I, I went up to her and I gave her this really big hug. 
Yeah, and I was like, I'm from New England, and I've known you two days. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, I didn't say that. I just sort of stood there stiffly, like Sheldon from you know the Big Bang Theory, like there, there. <laughs> I mean, I just found it really strange that this guy that I found attractive was actually like touching me in some way after two days, and and I had begun to really admire Tom on a deeper level than just his looks. And um, it was sort of this odd moment because on the inside I was sort of like pleasant, pleasant, but I was like, I, I don't know, is this a friend zone move? Is this like a, <laughs> is this like definitely putting me in the friend zone? I think that's what's going on here. Well, I had absolutely no idea that she had any attraction to me whatsoever. I mean, uh, you'd been spending quite a lot of time with our deckhand Hoppy up to that point in the trip. Well, Hoppy might have well has been uh, might as well have been carrying a billboard that said like date Tom. And <laughs> he would he would say things like he'd be like my girlfriend and I have a very stable good relationship because we have a lot in common. And then like 20 minutes later, I don't even know what we'd be talking about. He'd be like, "You and Tom have a lot in common." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and then one time, um, I was sitting on the deck watching Tom working or something, and and I had these these big Valley Girl sunglasses, so you couldn't you couldn't see my eyes. That was sort of the point; like you couldn't see where I was looking or anything. So I was like, "Oh, no one can see that I'm looking at Tom." And so Hoppy like sidles up next to me silently, and then he he says next to me, "He's like, dear diary, today I saw Tom working in the rigging," <laughs> <laughs> and like. I didn't even think I looked away from Tom. I just said to Hoppy, I was like, shut it, Hoppy. <laughs> I went back to looking at Tom, like, you know, wondering if he's attracted to me. But I was like, oh, a guy like that would probably be embarrassed if he realized he was even remotely interested or attracted to someone like me. Yeah, meanwhile, I had absolutely no idea any of this was going on whatsoever. I was the last, the whole crew was trying to like, set her up with me, and I, I was the last one to know about it. None of them told me. Um, I didn't even realize that I was attracted to her until, uh, um, I think it was Thursday night. <laughs> I was laughing about that. <laughs> um, Thursday night, I went, uh, we were at anchor after uh, a long day of sailing, and I went out for a row. And rowing back to the boat, I saw her on the deck uh, in her bathing suit jumping into the frigid cold waters um, of the Gulf of Maine. And, and this is... A, this is fall already. The water is no longer warm. It is really cold. And, and she was the only person on the boat who was brave enough to endure the, the cold main waters for a swim. And I, just, I really admired that. And I also later that night learned somehow for the first time the whole trip that she had a, a cabin to herself. And that's, that's when I really realized that I, I, I knew that I was attracted to her. <laughs> <laughs> it took till Thursday. It took me like five minutes. <laughs> So Friday night comes along, and I need to go run down to Portland, Maine to go get my dog from my friend. And as soon as the boat is, like, touching the deck, uh, touching the dock, and, and Tom is still, um, like, coiling lines or something, tying up the boat, and I hop off with my backpack, and, and all of a sudden he looks at me like, like he's never going to see me again. And I was, like, surprised and thrilled at the same time. I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> he looks like he's going to miss me. And so I go, okay, Skylar, play it cool. So I just look at him and I go, what? <laughs> and then I, like, turn up towards the hill and walk to my car and I go, oh, yeah, I just played it super cool. 
yeah, yeah. You played it really cool. You played it a little too cool, I think. I, uh, after she gave me that look, I was pretty sure she never wanted to see me again. <laughs> but I thought, what the hell? <laughs> I've got nothing to lose. So <laughs> I sent her a text. Yeah, so I'm driving back um, with my dog, Millie, and, um, and I see that I got a text from a new unknown number, and it's signed T, and I turn to my dog in the back, and I go, yes, Millie, I got one! <laughs> and I literally pump my fist in the air like that with just my dog there. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, it, it was exciting, but I was like, oh, you know, Tom's just flirting around, like, nothing's gonna happen, like, and if something did happen, like, I'm, I might get my heart run over, like, he probably will figure out that he's still in love with his ex-wife because he spent time kissing me, or, you know, like, I'll just be another in-between girl, like, I have been so many times, and sounds terrible, but, <laughs> but it's so true, and so, you know, I had that in my head, but then I also, like, I really liked him, like, as a person, and, the whole week, all I could think of was this movie, Serendipity, which maybe some of you have seen, the more romantic people in the audience. It's a John Cusack movie. And these two strangers meet in New York, and, and seven years later, they're trying to find each other, and there's all these hints and clues that they sometimes pay attention to and don't. And it reminded me of all the times that Tom and I have almost met in the last 10 years, but never did, until now on this boat, and it just felt... It felt serendipitous. So I'm 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 pretty darn excited about seeing Skylar again, and um, and I actually managed to get a day off from the captain, like for the first time the whole year, other than you know the divorce. Um, <laughs> and so we go we go to the common ground fair, and uh, we spend the whole day at the fair together, trying to bait each other into saying, that's what she said. Hey, how do you like those gourds that that guy grew? Those beans look <laughs> rather large. <laughs> and, it, and it basically resulted in us just constantly suppressing giggles with each other like little school kids and, and giving each other these like furtive glances and laughs. And, and it reached a peak when a sailor friend of mine joined us. And in all seriousness, she started talking with us about all the work she had to do earlier that day, which explained why she was late, um, caulking a leaky deck. I mean, that is literally what she that, said. Yeah, that is what she said. Um, and after <laughs> I had such a great time just laughing with Skylar all day, I re after that day at the fair, I did a lot of reflection on my recent divorce and my past relationship, and I realized what I'd really been missing was this this common sense of humor, this person who I could not just really be open and vulnerable with, but also who I could laugh with and who could teach me how to laugh at myself. And here I was spending this, all this time with this wonderful woman who made me laugh like no other. And so um, I, I asked her out on a real date. And the timing couldn't have been more perfect. We ended up going to the top of Mount Batty uh, and uh, um, watched the total lunar eclipse together, overlooking uh, Camden Harbor, where we met. And, um, you know, when Tom actually asked me out on a date, 
I was I was scared shitless. <laughs> I was excited, but I was like, oh crap. Like <laughs> something might actually happen. And uh, you know, I was really nervous that that like I would just get run over and treated like crap like I have so many times before. But I was like, I was like, oh, I'm gonna give it a shot. And you know, while Tom and I have all these things in common, what we really discovered on that date. And the the month that followed is that we had both met our best friend in the universe at the same time. I know it's really corny, but it's true. (laughs) And exactly 13 full moons later after our date, we got married at a lighthouse overlooking the bay where we met. So as they say, the captain's always right. Thank you. Thank you. That was Tom and Skylar Young-Bayer. Tom and Skylar live in Maine with their two adorable dogs, Millie and Misha. Tom is a former marine biologist, former sailor, and current farmer and produce specialist. Skylar is a PhD in marine biology. They are both veteran storytellers at The Corner in Lewiston, Maine, and together they co-host the sometimes monthly podcast Strictly Fish Wrap Science Radio Hour. They have both appeared on our podcast before separately. Skylar and the stories Phoning Home from Alvin and Hummingbird of Doom, and Tom in an episode titled Natural Habitats. And you can find all three of those on our website, storycollider.org. If you enjoyed today's stories or are a fan of the podcast, please consider supporting us on patreon.com. If you sign up to donate $10 a month or more, we'll list your name in our show programs across the country. Story Collider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation and of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. The Story Collider is directed by Liz Neely and me, Aaron Barker, with help from our many vendors and volunteers. The stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Nissa Greenberg, and me, Aaron Barker. The podcast is produced by Zoe Saunders. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Oberon Theater and Union Hall for hosting these shows. And to everyone who cleaned up the shit NATO, we salute you. Thanks for listening. Been looking for another science podcast? Check out Origin Stories, the Leaky Foundation's podcast about how we became human. Hear stories of adventure and the joy of discovering why we are the way we are. Listen and subscribe to Origin Stories wherever you get your podcasts. Visit leakyfoundation.org slash origin stories. That's L-E-A-K-E-Y foundation.org slash origin stories.